meetings, conventions, and tourists from around the world, they're all flocking to Greater Philadelphia. And it's thanks in part to the team at the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau, also known as PHLCVB. Hey everybody, it's Matt. As we kick off this episode of Growing Greater, let's thank the team at PHLCVB for their support and active engagement in our work at Select Greater Philadelphia. PHLCVB, the official tourism promotion agency for the city of Philadelphia globally. They serve as the primary sales and marketing agency for the Pennsylvania Convention Center, and they are a true economic engine for the city and all of greater Philadelphia, helping to create new jobs and fueling the economy by bringing meetings, conventions, and travelers to southeastern Pennsylvania and the entire region. The professionals at the PHL CVB they serve as the connectors in our community for meeting planners, conference attendees, tour operators, travelers, and their own members. Learn more at discoverphl.com. That's discoverphl.com. And join me in thanking the team at PHLCVB for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. This is Growing Greater. Stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11 county community of northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, and southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. From the moment we're born, we are constantly learning and expanding our knowledge, figuring out how to walk and talk, mastering the alphabet in elementary school studying the periodic table in middle school and gaining a new skill at work we as humans are lifelong learners whether we know it or not and here on the growing greater podcast we've learned that embracing a skill through practice and training and more practice ultimately results in success in work and in life we're partnering with the chamber of commerce for greater philadelphia's education and talent action team it's also known as etat to create this special series highlighting innovative and successful employer-led workforce development strategies. Strategies that support our regional business growth and that are fueling our talent pipeline. The companies who are actively engaged with ETAT, they are positioning Greater Philadelphia as a premier talent hub and they're doing it by investing in and cultivating cross-sector collaborations. In this episode, we'll hear from academic experts and business leaders who are on the front lines of helping to train the workforce of tomorrow. Teresa Singleton, Community Affairs Officer at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, and Pat Clancy, who leads Philadelphia Works, they joined us to share more about their collaboration. It's called Pay for Success, and it's a unique public-private partnership that provides skills training to workers whose jobs are at risk of being replaced by automated technology. Here, Teresa explains what brought these two dynamic organizations together. We have a focus on workforce development at our bank, and we could not think of a better or more important partner in doing that work here in the Philadelphia region than Philadelphia Works, so it was just a natural partnership. That makes good sense. Thanks, Teresa. And in that spirit, share with us, how do you describe to the average observer the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia? Because it's a pretty lofty name. It's a pretty lofty space. And I think there's a little bit of a mystery that hangs around it. Which Is that fair? I think that's more than fair. (laughs) So the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia is one of 12 reserve banks across the country, which together with the Board of Governors in Washington, D.C., makes up the Federal Reserve System. 
as the nation's central bank, we're responsible for a few key issues, one of which is monetary policy. And another important component of our work is around just maintaining the financial health of the economy, and that's bank regulation, consumer compliance issues. But we also do a fair amount of work on community development, and that's the part of the shop that I work in. We are really focused on promoting community development and better understanding how you provide access to credit for underserved communities. And part of that work is also involved this workforce development effort that we've undertaken with Philadelphia Works and other partners. So it makes really good sense that your focus on community development as part of the mission of the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia would bring you really close together with Pat and his team at Philadelphia Works. And Pat, in a similar spirit, I'd love for you to share with folks, how do you describe Philadelphia Works? We are the city's workforce development board, which means that we are the entity that receives all the federal and state job training money awarded to the city of Philadelphia. Okay. And what we do is we make investments in services. So we look at organizations that can provide really good counseling, career counseling, job placement, job training. Our goal is very similar. How do we get people back to work? But not just work, but how do you get them into a career path where there's a family-sustaining wage? And I think that is our our biggest challenge is to figure out with our partners in the community and our partners that we actually pay to do these services, how do we make sure that individuals can get on that career track? That makes sense. And I'm going to be really nuanced here because you said something that caught my ear, which again, makes perfect sense, which is the sustained wages. Yeah. But I suspect another part of that mission is sustained jobs. I mean, you don't want to see these folks come through your program again, I suspect. Absolutely. And I think you know one of the things we always look at is how do we give people the tools to be lifelong learners, mm-hmm. but also look at those transferable skills. Like jobs will come and go. And I think one of the unique things about working with the Federal Reserve has been their research on automation and what that potentially will do to our workforce. Okay. You know, as we know nowadays, a lot of jobs are going to be utilizing different technologies. So how do we get customers to really be comfortable with technology, but be open to the fact that they have to be flexible? This is not a situation where when I grew up in South Philly with my dad and my dad and mom, my dad worked at the refinery and he had a job for 38 years at the refinery. Those types of jobs are just not here anymore. Right. So people have to be willing to keep learning, increasing their skill. So if they have to switch positions or companies, they have that ability to do that. And the longevity of a role within a specific company or even career track is not the same as it used to be when mom and dad were working in the workforce as well. So it's really evolved. Absolutely. And I think what employers are looking for are people who have that flexibility, who have that work ethic. Yeah. You know, we believe also the soft skills that we try to teach our customers, you know, showing up on time, communicating effectively, you know, speaking and asking for directions instead of just assuming All those things are critical. It's a critical part of getting people ready for all types of jobs, but also being able to manage their own career if they can. Yeah, sure. And Pat, I want to get into one more specific area before I turn to Teresa Mm -hmm. to share with us a little bit more about this program that we call Pay for Success. But you had referenced that Philadelphia Works is the entity that really, for lack of a better term, administers the funding that comes from the federal government, maybe from some other sources. But you, I suspect, do it through collaboration because you guys aren't necessarily doing all the training programs. You're partnering with and relying on experts who you kind of vet and engage. Yeah, we have 31 board members Mm -hmm. that are appointed by the mayor, as am I. And with that board, we look at the strategy of how do we make good investments, whether it be on-the-job training with companies, whether it be vocational skills training at the community college or other vendors such as District 1199C, and really looking at what's the return on that investment. So how do we invest in individuals who happen to be in a career track, 
but also looking at how does that employer benefit? You know, for us, it's two major customers, the employers who have the jobs yep. and the job seekers who need jobs. And, right. you know, then there's the gap in the middle. And then we try to figure out with our partners, what is the strategy on getting as many people, you know, get that skills gap sort of closed so that they can go to work. And you rely on those collaborations, those partners, those experts in certain areas to help close that gap, which is a nice transition to yes. Teresa and the team at the Federal Reserve of Philadelphia. And Teresa, you touched on this a little bit earlier in our conversation, but I'm, again, I'm going to get a little nuanced on this mm-hmm. and ask, do you remember when you and your team first met and started working with Philadelphia Works? Is it a new relationship or does this go back like decades and it it evolves over time based on different uh, needs? So I think it's a relationship that does go back a few years and based on different initiatives and different priorities between our organizations, I think it's just risen to a higher level most recently. So our bank had recently gone through a system-wide effort where we were looking at something called investing in America's workforce. Okay. So we had done a huge research lift where across the country we held a number of roundtable conversations where we spoke to over a thousand people to better understand what are the challenges in our workforce investment systems, not just here in Philadelphia, but across the country. Hmm. And when we came back from that kind of data collection, we realized that we needed to reach out to Pat and his team immediately to see if there were some opportunities for us to collaborate around solutions. So it's a long-term relationship that's just gotten stronger in recent years. That's great. And I know one of the solutions that your teams are collaborating on is called Pay for Success. If you could share with us a little bit of an overview of what is the Pay for Success program? Sure. So Pay for Success, most simply stated, is also described as outcomes-based financing. And it's an approach that really ties payment for specific services to the achievement of measurable outcomes. And so in this arrangement, you have what's known as an investor. And historically, those investors have been philanthropy or a commercial entity. And they have put up the funds to innovate and to invest in a social service program or a social service outcome that they've wanted to achieve. They pay a service provider, and then they are repaid if and only when the stated outcomes are achieved by a back-end payer. That back-end payer has historically been a governmental entity. In the program or the pilot that we're working on, we've kind of flipped that on its head, and we've brought in a private sector employer as the back-end payer, and the governmental entity, Philadelphia Works, is acting as the investor. And we feel like this is a really important way of bringing some innovation to the workforce development system here in the city of Philadelphia and really forging those partnerships that Pat talked about that are so important and key between employers and prospective employees. So it's a new model, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And I want to unpack that a little bit. And if you're comfortable sharing Mm -hmm. some of those specifics, because you referenced the flipping it on its head kind of approach, which I love that because it's a whole new way of thinking. How do we try something that can potentially give us a different outcome than Mm -hmm. what we've seen in the past? And if you're comfortable sharing this part, and Pat, I'll turn Mm -hmm. to you as well, is the private employer that is acting as the investor and Philadelphia Works is acting as the administrator? Is that how I understand it? Does that make sense? So Philadelphia Works, there's a change in the legislation that Pat can speak to a little Mm -hmm. bit more effectively Mm -hmm. than I can, but the legislation gave institutions or organizations like PATS, the workforce investment agencies, the opportunity to innovate. And so they are coming in as the investor and they will bring financial resources to the table. We have identified a private sector employer. In our case, that's Comcast. Okay. And they have specific employment needs. There are positions that they've had 
challenges filling and retaining employees in those roles. And they are positions that are paying, as Pat called them, family sustaining wages. We call them what we call opportunity occupations, occupations that pay at least the median wage or more for people who do not have a college education typically. And so we were able to bring these two parties together around this pilot model and social finance, an agency that really helps to structure these types of deals, came in to help identify the roles that each entity could play and the way in which the Federal Reserve Bank could continue to be involved as an evaluator and help really identify the outcomes and help assure we're meeting those measurable outcomes that not only our partners need, but the city really deserves. That makes sense. And I want to come back to some of those details in a moment, Teresa, Mm -hmm. but I want to turn to Pat and ask, using Comcast as the example, Mm -hmm. if I understand it correctly, they identified a problem and, and we're coming to your team to really work on a solution together. One, how did Comcast know to come to you guys, or or did you already have a relationship with them? And you said, you know, we can help solve some of these problems you're having. And then how's that relationship blossom? We've been fortunate. Comcast has been an active partner in our organization for a while. In fact, the chair of our board is a Comcast employee. Mm -hmm. So we're really fortunate. He's in charge of HR for Comcast Cable. So for us, it was already having a familiarity with Comcast, but never really having the ability to take it to that next level of engagement. Right. You know, Comcast typically hires very skilled individuals, mostly with bachelor's degrees. I think this gives us an opportunity to look at some positions that don't quite require a four-year degree, Mm -hmm. but maybe require certain credentials or certain skills. So for us, it's about how do we actually work with a business in a different way? I mean, because if you look at our history of workforce boards, we typically serve customers who are just getting on sort of the skills track. Right. This is a little bit different. We will be recruiting people who have some existing skills but need another sort of level of upgrading. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we work closely with Comcast, one on looking at the positions that they really need to fill, but also what are the critical skills and really drill down to what they are and not just have a blanketed, I need an associate's degree or I need a bachelor's degree, but really drilling into the skill sets. And then for us, it's about how do we cast our net differently Mm -hmm. when we look for customers? I mean, a lot of our customers are mandated to come into our career link centers. This will be a little bit different where we will go out into the community. We will go out into all the social media networks and we'll find the best candidates that can actually be able to to achieve you know, success at Comcast. I want to drill down on one more specific aspect of this particular relationship, Pat, because I appreciate that you have a representative from Comcast who happens to be in human resources, which makes right. really good sense, who's represented on Philadelphia Workforce Board. But the nuance here is, did they come to you and say, man, we got this problem that we just can't get resolved? Or was it more of a, we're sitting in having a conversation, awareness of this particular project pops up and, and someone raises their hand and say, you know, I, I think I may have an opportunity for us to implement around this particular project. Yeah, I'll have to give all the credit to my colleagues at the Federal Reserve on this one. Mm -hmm. Even though Comcast sits on our board, they were the ones that were able to broker the original conversation with Comcast, who actually volunteered to them first. Okay. And said, hey, oh, by the way, you know, Philadelphia Works is interested as well. So to the credit of Federal Reserve, I mean, they are so tied in to key employers in the region that it became an easy conversation for them to have with Comcast. Yeah. And then the three of us came together. Teresa said, then we looked at social finance and their model. So for us, it's about how do we invest public dollars that we think is a wise investment, but even better, we're going to get repaid if we're successful. Yeah. So that gives us another source of funds to do another project. So we don't view this as just a one-time deal with Comcast. We view this as an ongoing relationship with as many employers as we can possibly serve. 
For the last two years, our administration has been trying to figure out ways to help connect job seekers to employers who are also looking for great potential new employees. For some time now, in different speeches and different opportunities, I've been hinting at, I have mentioned on more than a few occasions that we were making some plans for the future, that changes were coming, that businesses and job seekers would have a new way in to a front door. That's then Philadelphia Mayor Michael Nutter back in 2011 announcing the creation of Philadelphia Works Inc. This vision for a streamlined workforce development system, it's providing access to career opportunities for those who may never have been offered this type of training program. It's all about bridging the employment divide and the impact of Philadelphia Works, the city's workforce development board, it has been substantial. Investments made by Philadelphia Works drive training and employment readiness solutions, and through their service delivery partners, Philadelphia Works is connecting employers to workforce talent and career seekers to jobs. So, Teresa, I wanted to come back to this notion of measurement because it feels like that is the space where you and your team really bring a level of expertise. And how do you measure the success of a program like this? And, and let me start with this aspect. How long has this program been going on and how long is the duration that allows you to really have a good measurement of success? So those are excellent questions. And we're really in the pilot and development phase of this program. I would say that for our bank, any work that we do is really driven by data and research. And so the data and research that went into informing this pilot or this model has been going on for about a year. Mm-hmm. The conversations that Pat commented on in our dialogues and discussions with Comcast and other employers, city agencies, training organizations really helped to inform how we structured the program. But I think you're absolutely right. This issue of outcomes and measurements is absolutely key to all pay for success programs and especially our program. Mm-hmm. There have to be key outcomes that both parties agree to at the very outset. And I think Pat and our colleagues at Comcast have worked really hard to identify what are the outcomes that they want to see for Philadelphia Works, for their clients, for the people who are coming into the Workforce Development Agency, and for Comcast for their bottom line. This is a business. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's really about the regional economy. We really want to see the needle start to move on some key indicators around upskilling income and wage growth for folks who don't necessarily have that four-year college degree. As I mentioned, that's a target population for us. About 70% of the city of Philadelphia's residents over the age of 25 do not have a college education. And Mm so ensuring that those uh, folks have an opportunity to thrive in the economy is important to us. And so some of the really key indicators that we've identified that would be critical and important are making certain that folks are getting jobs that are paying, as Pat has indicated, a family-sustaining wage. For that, for us, that is an amount that pays above what would be the area median income of about $38,000, $39,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So those are decent paying jobs. Yep. And for our employers, being retained in those positions for over six months. So as I said, these are positions that they've had some difficulty identifying talent, people with the skills, mm-hmm. and then retaining that talent over the long term. Gotcha. And so for them, making certain that they're not hiring, training, 
rehiring six months later, retraining, there's a business cost. And so if we're able to remove that business cost for them, or at least reduce it, that's a huge uh, benefit for the private sector employer. I can imagine, whether it's Comcast or somebody else, I'm not sure if this is one of the measurements, but days it takes to fill a position must be one of those measurements, I suspect. I think the other thing that's interesting about this is that the risk is really not in Comcast. Right. The risk is on the public workforce system saying, we can be better, we can find better talent for you. So the financial risk is what we are willing to take on because mm-hmm. we have the flexibility in our funds to do it. Right. And I think Comcast is willing to then pay for that success, right? Mm-hmm. Pay for people that are really skilled, that will stay employed at Comcast. You know, so it's this ongoing partnership and dialogue around, you know, how do our two systems work better together? Right. So very exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I can see why. And I feel that. And I love that there's a an initiative in place to identify folks who need a job. Mm-hmm. They could be 18. They could be 48. Mm-hmm. They have a, a specific skill set, or maybe they have the ability to develop that skill set that goes beyond, to your point earlier, Pat, a traditional four-year college or two-year associate's degree. But they bring a level of learning and the ability to learn that allows them to be trained to move into, a, a, again, a job that is family-sustaining wages with a good company and provides a little bit more of a career path than maybe what they're historically used to. So if I'm not getting too into the weeds, mm-hmm. using the Comcast example mm-hmm. around the pay-for-success financing model that's actively in place now between Philadelphia Works and the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, is there a certain training program, for example, that your team at Philadelphia Works is funding that puts a young person, or again, regardless of age, puts a candidate through in order to qualify them for a particular position? Yeah. So right now, we're at the beginning stages of finalizing the curriculum that Comcast thinks is critical for their hiring needs. Yeah. And then we will do an RFP, find a selected vendor to actually do the training. But prior to that, we'll make sure that any customer that wants to go to Comcast and even look at this position has all the right soft skills, right? So you got to come to the table with some some initial skill level Mm -hmm. that we know that when we invest in the technology training or the digital training or whatever critical training is needed for Comcast, that they'll be successful. So we're going to do a lot of vetting of customers. And for us, we're fortunate. So if if you don't become a strong candidate for Comcast, we have tons of other jobs and opportunities in our system right. where people can go. So we're fortunate that not every answer is yes for everybody, Sure, but there are options. right? Yeah. So we're going to work really hard to get to the basic bottom line critical skills And then Comcast is finalizing sort of what are the technology skills that we should go out and pay for Mm -hmm. so that when they hit the ground running at Comcast, they'll be successful. Yeah, that makes good sense. And I love the fact that you have an eye for options because you're right. Everything's not going to be the perfect fit for every candidate. So if one's not a perfect fit, then what alternatives do we have? Because they still need that engagement. They still need to close that gap. The other good thing is Comcast is going to select the people, right? Right. So this is not about, hey, you know, Pat Clancy's team at Philadelphia Works and CareerLink sending over 20 candidates. This will be about eventually Comcast saying, yeah, these are the candidates we think will be most successful in this program. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's a little bit of a different way in which we do our business as well. I mean, typically in the past, we would train people and hopefully they find a job. Yeah, that's right. For us, it's about how do we really invest up front with the employer to get them engaged early. Yeah. So they are part of the solution and not just part of the back end. Maybe we'll hire, maybe we won't. This is a different model. Right. And we're... We're flipping all the pieces upside down. 
And it sounds like it's a winning model. And I want to pivot to a broader part of our conversation, because I know at our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia, under our Education and Talent Action Team, there's a whole spectrum of different initiatives that range from higher education to development of specific workforce skills that may qualify a person for working in a specific kind of industry, whether it's manufacturing or other kinds of vocational training skills that qualify them for placement at different kinds of companies. And serving, if you will, as that matchmaker and under ETAT, helping to bring people together and collaborate and address some of these challenges. And where I'm going with all this is the evolution of automation, specifically in the manufacturing space. And I'd love for each of you to talk a little bit more about the impact that automation has had on programming specifically to meet the needs of the future workforce. And I'm going to start, Teresa, with you from a Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia perspective, because I know it's a kind of a broad spectrum that your team has been focused on. So automation has been a critical issue. And we come at this again from a research perspective. You know, my first job was developing pictures in a photo mat. And half of the people who are listening to this podcast don't know what developing a picture means Mm -hmm. or don't remember a photo map, but we do. That automation, that job no longer exists because of automation. So automation has always happened. It always will happen. And it's changing the nature of work as we sit here and, and have this discussion here today. Our research, however, has really taken the position and demonstrated that this is not the scary robots are coming to get your job type of conversation, that this is really an opportunity for us here in the Philadelphia region to think critically about how can we better understand those jobs that are most vulnerable to automation, who's going to be impacted, mm-hmm. and how how can we train those people specifically to fit the jobs of the future? And so we have some data that suggests where there might be some growth opportunities. And what we try to do is to share that information with partners such as Pat and Philadelphia Works and others so that they can begin making some targeted investments in creating training programs that take someone who may be today a bookkeeper, which is one of those top 10 jobs in Philadelphia that is more vulnerable, Mm -hmm. and seeing how we can train them so that they can become more skilled accountants, which is a growth industry in our future here right. in Philadelphia. That makes sense because they're tied together. Absolutely. And with a little bit of, you know, kind of guidance and education, an individual can advance to more of a sophisticated accounting role from a bookkeeping role, if you Absolutely. will. Absolutely. That's yeah. what we're hoping. So in that spirit, Teresa, is there a category, if you will, or characteristic of a job function that really puts it more at risk for automation? You know, I think of, and we hear a lot about this with technology, you know, cashless retail stores. So, and even today, while it may not be cashless, you walk into a supermarket and you can do a self-serve checkout. And there's one employee who's overseeing, you know, a whole series, uh, like 16 or 20 different self-checkout areas instead of having 16 or 20 checkout areas, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. So there's 16 or so less cashiers working at those checkout areas. So that's just one example that comes to mind for me. Are there others that are more specific from your work uh, at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia? Absolutely. You put your finger on the absolute job that probably has the highest rate of risk, and that's cashiers. And 
and you also put your finger on it, it's not the job, it's the tasks associated with the job. So right. if there are jobs that can be more routinized, automation will routinize them. I mean, it's it just, it's the nature of technology, it's the nature of advancement. And so our research shows that over the next 10 to 20 years, there are about 70,000 cashier jobs that mm-hmm. will be potentially lost to the region. Wow. And so, you know, when we look at where the growth might be, how do we begin to train people to target them towards those growth industries? Right. Healthcare is a huge growth industry. And when you start looking at those healthcare positions that require more personal care, those are jobs where you're going to see less of a ability to automate those positions. So right. there are some home healthcare aides. There are registered nurses. There are still some laboring positions that require more analysis mm-hmm. and not just routine movement that will have some growth in the coming 10 to 20 years. That and makes so, sense. Yeah. And what I call the high touch type of jobs, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I want to come back to, and I know this is going to get a little bit more heavy is not the right word, but a little bit more sophisticated coming back to our conversation around the pay for success financing model. And then I want to lighten it up a little bit because you reminded me something of Teresa, but that we'll touch on in a moment. But Before we go there, and this is a question for both of you, but Pat, I want to start with you. If we could talk about social finance, because pay for success is a financing model, but how do we define for the average listener what social finance actually is? I mean, that's the entity that's helping us to design the actual payment structure. Mm -hmm. So they're an organization that has many years of knowledge, and they're giving us a lot of consultation We are the first workforce board in the state, if not in the region of states, that's actually doing this. So we don't have any model ourselves. So luckily, social finance, along with the Federal Reserve, is able to kind of walk us through to make sure that when we do decide the payment structures and we decide what is the definition of success, Mm -hmm. like how do we make sure all that equals sort of a money payback? Okay. And that's what they're they're doing. I would say the social finance staff is probably much more aligned with the amazing staff at the Federal Reserve. Gotcha. And I'm glad I asked that question because I was looking at the term social finance almost as a movement. If you pull gotcha. back the curtain mm-hmm. and look at the phrase social finance, and now you're helping to educate me that social finance is actually an entity. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> is it a company? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a... It's a nonprofit organization. Okay. It's an international company. It was founded in the UK, and I believe around 2010, they did their first pay-for-success model there in the UK. Gotcha. And then they moved here to the United States, and they began working on a variety of issues, including childcare, work workforce development, recidivism, reentry. They are the nation's, if not the world's, preeminent experts on how do you set up these programs. And and just to add to Pat's point, this is the first time ever that a private sector entity is acting as a back-end employer. So Philadelphia will really be a model for not only the country, but the world. And how do you set something up like this? How do you illustrate success? How do you bring partners around the table? So the world will really be looking at Philadelphia to learn. And I think this model is really going to transform how we think about workforce development everywhere. I really appreciate the cooperation and the collaboration with an organization that's based in the UK that we're now kind of modeling after their success instead of trying to reinvent Mm -hmm. the wheel by a adapting 
to social finances kind of approach. Mm -hmm. Do they actually physically have an office in Philadelphia or in the U.S.? So they're headquartered in Boston. They have several locations around the United States, and their United States president, I believe, is headquartered in Boston, Massachusetts. Gotcha. Makes sense. To their credit, they do come in often to meet with our staff and to meet with the Comcast staff Mm -hmm. and the Federal Reserve staff. So very much a hands-on partnership right now where they're helping us, you know, design this incredible one-of-its-kind program. Yeah. So I want to think a little bit more down the road. And we won't hold you to this. I know that some of this stuff is predictions, (laughs) right? Good old predictions. (laughs) Pay for success as a model. How long is the project? And where do you see it in the next year, the next three years, the next five years from now? So right now, it's it's a three-year project. We hope to do at least 25 to 30 people a year at Comcast. But our goal would be that we learn enough early on to do another one, right? And that we really begin to look at this as... How do we get employers to really engage in the development of their employees and be a critical partner to what we're trying to do in the city of Philadelphia, which is, you know, alleviate the poverty challenges that we have in the city, Mm -hmm. but also work with the amazing talent that maybe is sitting on the bench somewhere that really, if they had the right skills and the right mentoring, they could be highly successful. So for us, it's the way in which we want to do all our investments as far as have the employer drive it. We have industry partnerships that we've developed in seven key industries that we bring employers on a pretty regular basis together to figure that out. So this is one model, but we think it really will be the mantra going forward. Gotcha. So in the spirit of workforce development as part of our wrap-up conversation here with our growing greater focus on the pay for success program that's being administered in partnership with Philadelphia Works and the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, I'd love for each of you to share with us what kind of advice you share with an individual, whether they're 18 or, again, whether they're 48 or maybe, you know, at a different place within their evolution of career growth. What kind of advice and guidance do you share with somebody about their focus on getting family-sustaining roles that allow them to feel good about themselves, contribute back to their family and to their community. And in that spirit that was mentioned earlier, this kind of notion for lifelong learning and continuing to evolve as a as an individual, both personally and professionally. I would say what we see with our youth programming is, is really the career awareness opportunities, right? Explore everything. Mm-hmm. If you think you know what a job is, you should really explore it more because there are just many jobs that require a lot of different skills that you may not even think of. So our big push is, you know, be wide open. Just don't let one or two people or the TV kind of tell you where to go to work. Really take the chance to look at all occupations and don't let your summers be a missed opportunity. You know, if you have a chance to go to a summer employment, you should do it. If not, you should volunteer. You should really try to follow your passion, too. I would say that I'm a big believer in having a really good plan, but following your passion, lifelong learning, and don't be afraid to make a mistake, but learn from that mistake and continue to grow. Yeah, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to yeah. pivot. Absolutely. Very important. Yeah. Teresa, how about from your experiences, not just at the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, but throughout your career, young person comes to you, someone in mid-career, and they're looking for a little bit of guidance. Yeah. So you're hitting me at a critical point. I have an 18-year-old who's about to graduate from high school. So this conversation is just top of mind. So as she's about to go off to college, we talk about these things on a nightly basis. And I give her the same advice that I give 
colleagues who approach me either in the street or at work, you know, and it, and it is exactly what Pat says. And the first is around lifelong learning. Like whatever you do now, you are going to have to invest in yourself and, and you are going to have to just do hard work to keep your skills ahead of where the economy is going in order to be productive. And then the other thing that I, I always say is the region needs you. You are an asset to the city. And so think carefully about where you're going, what you're doing, because it's not just you. We are all connected in this region. And so to the extent that you are improving your skills, you are bringing greater innovation, you are increasing productivity, that is a gift to the city and to the region and to the economy. And so I think people need to realize that, that they have a big role to play in how successful this region is. To learn more about the Chamber's Education and Talent Action Team, head online to chamberphl.com. And listen to other installments of our special ETAT series right here on Growing Greater. As we wrap this episode, let's thank the team at the Discovery Labs. Located out in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, the Discovery Labs is the first fully integrated environment for big pharma, emerging biotech, and high-tech companies to all cohabitate under one roof. Perfectly situated in King of Prussia, the Discovery Labs is in close proximity to Philadelphia's world-class research institutions, health systems, and educational leaders. They offer the complete package, access to wet labs, talent, research partners, leading biotech and pharmaceutical companies, venture capitalists, startups, and so much more. And it's all situated in an exceptionally affordable environment that provides unmatched cost of living and quality of life. Learn more at thediscoverylabs.com. That's thediscoverylabs.com. And join me in thanking the great team at The Discovery Labs for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Growing Greater is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania, and helps to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our region. Special thanks to our program producers, Elena Carmazin and Maricela Juarez, along with the great team of marketing and creative services professionals at our chamber. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in anytime and anywhere you get your podcasts or online at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast.